welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up. It's working. Time for a retro perspective. Welcome to Retro Perspective, the show on the nerd party where we take a look at all of the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we're taking a look at the movies released on June 24th, 1994. A day that will live in infamy, June 24th, 1994. Yes, it will. So, two movies released on June 24th. Only two. Only two. Only two. But they're, they're rather substantial. Uh, the first one, which came in at number four at the box office with $10.3 million and 42% positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp, uh, co-written and directed by Lawrence Kasdan of yes. Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi fame. And Raiders uh, and, of the Lost Ark fame. And Raiders of the Lost Ark and that. and upcoming, uh, you know, still far off in his future, uh, The Force Awakens and Solo and Star Solo. Wars. Solo. Got mm-hmm. my Solo shirt on today. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did, did, did you watch Wyatt Earp? I did. Did you? Oh, yes, I did. I revisited Wyatt Earp to see if my opinion from years ago would change. So I guess we should preface this by saying in the great tradition of movies uh, and and movies that are similar to each other getting made simultaneously, right? This was a mere seven months, six months, I guess, after the release of Tombstone, mm-hmm. which starred Kurt Russell and... Uh, Val, Val Kilmer, Kilmer, Sam Elliott, Bill Paxton, yes, Dana Delaney. And I know that you're a big fan. I am. So big that you bought a copy of the Tombstone Director's Cut for me. Yes, I did. A yes, few I years did. ago. Yes, yeah. I did. And I actually have uh, an autographed Tombstone poster in my office. Ooh, cool. Yeah. So, so you were a big fan of that. Have, you did not get me a copy of Wyatt Earp. No. No, I didn't. So how does Wyatt Earp compare to Tombstone for you? Honestly, Wyatt Earp for me will always be interesting only, truly only for two things. One is I think that Dennis Quaid's performance as Doc Holliday is an equally good and valid interpretation to Val Kilmer's. I really enjoy Dennis Quaid's Doc Holliday. I think it is great. Um, I think it's very rooted. I think it's a, a tremendous performance on his part. You know, when he first came up on screen, like the way that it was and the fact that, you know, it was the character of Doc Holliday and everything like that, I was like, oh, clearly they got a big name actor for this. And, you know, the credits lists like 17,000 people in this movie. Everyone's in this movie. So I wasn't like keeping track in that regard. And I could not figure out who it was. I had to look it up online to see who was playing Doc Holliday because it was 
a very chameleon-like performance by Dennis Quaid in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Yeah, which yeah. is not, and this doesn't take anything away from him, but he's very recognizable. You can use, yeah. like when Dennis Quaid comes on screen, typically you're like, oh, that's Dennis Quaid. Right. Whereas he, he lost 30 pounds to play the role. Okay, see that you could tell. Yep. And, and I think that's one of the things that threw me. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing is, Wyatt Earp, to me, the second thing is that it, it's fascinating because it was a competing production uh, with Tombstone. Uh, and uh, Tombstone was the one that Kevin Costner was originally attached to. Hmm. But he disagreed with the direction of that script, where it was uh, focused more on, you know, Wyatt and the characters around him, whereas Costner felt it should be more focused just on Wyatt. And so that is why you see him jump ship. And according to, I remember reading articles either in Premier Magazine or Entertainment Weekly or whatever back in the day that it was actually acrimonious between the two productions. Like they were in a race to buy up all of the stuff. Like Tombstone bought up all of the period clothing. And so Wyatt Earp had to buy it from England and import it. Um, there was a race for like fake mustaches and authentic guns and all of that type of stuff. And if the stories are to be believed, because Costner was, you know, he was off of uh, Dances with Wolves and everything. He was using his clout to try to interfere with the distribution of Tombstone. Hmm. Like it was actually acrimonious between the two of them. And so Wyatt Earp is uh, equally fascinating to me because it is literally not just, it's not like uh, Dante's Peak and Volcano, you know, with Tommy Lee Jones and Pierce Brosnan. It's one was literally trying to kill and stop the other one. Like it wasn't, well, let's see who the best movie is. It was, I'm going to destroy you type of competition, which is fascinating. Yeah. So um, can you speak to, I mean, I think we know that you like Tombstone better, at least that's my guess. Yes. Could you speak to the differences between the two movies in terms of how they choose to tell this story? Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Tombstone is, in certain places, more historically accurate, but it is very obviously the, the telling of the legend, and it makes no bones about that fact. It is the romanticized version of a life. It is the, you know, part of the effort to construct, you know, to be true to the legend of Wyatt Earp and those around him. Whereas Wyatt Earp is supposed to be a more human portrait. It's supposed to be a more realistic portrayal of life and times of Wyatt Earp and how things were back then. And so I, I, I can say that my dad actually preferred Wyatt Earp and I preferred Tombstone. And I think it's because my dad liked the whole sweeping epic um, attempt uh, in Wyatt Earp. Whereas I'm definitely more of a fan of, have you ever seen the, uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance? I don't think I have. Well, I'm not going to spoil it, but the moral of that film I think describes why Tombstone works out better than Wyatt Earp in this instance. And so I think that they're very interesting companion pieces, but if you put the two of them side by side, 
100 times out of 100, I'm going to watch Tombstone instead of Wyatt Earp. But what did you think about? I've, I've gone on and on. What did you think of Wyatt Earp? Well, um, you know, I I liked it. Uh, I would say, and, and it's been a while since I watched Tombstone, but I would say that I liked it more than Tombstone. Okay. Um, and I, I wasn't necessarily expecting to, aside mm-hmm. from the fact that Lawrence Kasdan was involved with it. That was the big draw for me. Like, if if anyone else really <laughs> had directed this movie, I would have been like, I'm not going to watch that. You know, three hours and 11 minutes long and, and all the rest of it. I, you know, westerns are all over the place in 1994, apparently. Mm-hmm. I'd catch the next one. You know, I but the fact that Lawrence Kasdan was the director was what made me watch this. And I'm glad that I did. Uh, I think that it was uh, really well made. I, I mean, I didn't think it was fantastic. I think it might have been a bit overlong, but it did not drag nearly as much as I thought it might, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I I enjoyed it, definitely. I thought the photography I, was great, too. Uh, uh, you know, I, I thought it, you know, I thought it looked fine. Um, and I, you know, there, the production design was, was perfectly good and legitimate. And I, you know, I thought that the, uh, the costume design was strong. Uh, again, you know, I go back again to Quaid's Doc Holliday. There are plenty of other good supporting performances, but I, I do think that it's overlong. I do think that it falls a little in love with itself. And I think that the, the primary example scene of that is the walk up to the OK Corral fight. I wanted it to get to the point. It kept it kept going and going, and it's like, look, I, I know where they're walking. I know where they're going to get there and everything, but it's just, it, it's like it milked that walk for all that it was worth and then some. And it's like, it it's, that's just an example of, I think it's it's just a bit indulgent with itself. I think that there's easily a half hour that could be removed from this and you wouldn't miss it. You know, and that's just a picking at things here and there, like cutting the running time of one scene in half could get you a long way. And if you just took that approach and cut things down by a half as you went along, it flows perfectly fine. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those cases, you know, you hear about this all the time where people are like, I want to make an epic. I, I want it to be three hours long. And sometimes it just shouldn't be. And mm-hmm. I read something online that this was originally envisioned as like a six part mini, like a six hour long mini series. Yeah. For TV or whatever. I mean, I can see that. Uh, but well, let me ask you this. Uh, this story really does look at Wyatt Earp's entire life from when he's a kid all the way mm-hmm. through to like basically the end. How does that compare to Tombstone? Where, where does Tombstone sort of... Tombstone's point of attack is it picks up in Tombstone through you know different exposition and dialogue. You learn about Wyatt's past. You learn about his legendary character that's come along with it and that he doesn't want to be a lawman anymore, that he's reticent. And if anything... The resistance to being a lawman is much more pronounced in Tombstone. He's he flat out says no. He refuses. His brothers want to join the law, and he's like, no, I refuse to do it. I'm not going to do it. He's very much the reluctant hero in the story. It's a much more energetic refusal. Whereas, I think that gets to 
my core problem with Wyatt Earp is the fact that Kevin Costner's performance is very low energy. And I did not see at any point his portrayal of Wyatt Earp as the portrayal of a person who would in any way be charismatic or legendary. And I know that the point of the film is that the real story isn't the same as the legend, but there are different ways to go about it to demonstrate that. And I I do think that the core issue is that I don't know whether Kasdan needed to give Costner more direction, whether Costner was dead set that this was the way he was going to play it, but there's nothing electric about Earp in this film. And I think that's, that's my biggest problem with it. So, okay. I mean, clearly you like Tombstone more, but mm-hmm. I guess my question is like, do you think this is a good movie? No. No? No. Okay. I think that it misses on just about every mark. And that's, I, I know I keep going back to Quaid, but like, I think that it's, I, I feel badly for him because he gives a great performance that's going to be forgotten because of the movie that it's in. And Kilmer gave a great performance in a movie that's going to be remembered. And it's, it's just, I think, a, a very stark lesson in the idea that it doesn't matter sometimes for an actor how much effort you bring. Everything around you has got to be great, too, to be remembered. I was looking up some stats comparing the two, and while critics didn't particularly like this movie, they did like Tombstone. Audiences seemed to like Tombstone much more than this movie, too. Uh, and looking at the box office, I think what's interesting is, like, if I'm not mistaken, this one cost more than Tombstone did. Um, yep. But when they opened, they opened at about the same amount, but Tombstone stuck around longer and made more money overall. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, well, should we move on to the second movie? Oh, let's, Mike. Let's move on to the little gem that uh, I, I suspect hit number one at the box office uh, that week. Yeah, it did. It made $66.5 million, which I'm pretty sure was number one of the year so far, if not for the entire year. Right? Yeah, pretty sure. 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. The Lion King. Yes, the animated classic that's become a Broadway show that will become a movie again. Yes. Did you see this movie when it came out in theaters? You know I did. Of course I did. Okay, I did too. I was caught up up in Disney fever just like everybody else was. All right, all right. So what did you think about The Lion King back in the day? Loved it. Thought it was great. And I still do. I've seen it numerous times. I've seen the stage show. I'm excited for Favreau's remake. Did you see it in the theater or was this one that you you waited on? I did see it in the theater against my will. Uh, This (laughs) is uh, the only time that I ever went to the drive-in. I went with my family and Mm -hmm. we saw it as a double feature with Angels in the Outfield, which is a movie which comes out in about a month. And yeah... Uh, at the time I wasn't having any of it because (laughs) I was 14 years old and the last thing that I wanted to be doing was hanging out with my family, watching kids movies. 
And I also remember that the day that we went to see it is the same day that I believe it was issue number zero of Zero Hour, the DC Comics crossover event of the summer came out. That was my very first comic book crossover that I ever read as it was happening. Never forget your first. Yeah. And I was much more interested in reading Zero Hour than I was in watching The Lion King. And I probably spent most of the time in the back seat reading the comic book instead of watching the movie. Monster. Yeah, it happens. So I was not a fan and I had never felt the urge to revisit it in in all the years since. Uh, so I knew, one, because it was such a big movie in 1994, but two, because there's the John Favreau remake coming out, you know, momentarily. I needed to rewatch this, and I did. Uh, and... I still didn't like it. I, you know, this is something which I'm finding is there's lots of times where like I'll watch a movie when I'm younger, which may be, you know, beloved by billions or whatever, or some sort of art house fave or something like that. And I'll watch it and I'll say, that's not good. And then later in life, I'm like, well, I was young and I didn't understand things, and I didn't appreciate this or that or the other thing, and it's time for me to revisit because everybody else loves it, and clearly I will love it too. If only I give it another chance, and then I watch it again, and I'm like, ah, that's not very good. This has happened so many times. This is why I didn't go see Total Recall the other night when it was playing at uh, in, at a local theater well, in town. That that's fair because Total Recall was a bad movie. But um, you interviewed me a, a lot about you know Wyatt Earp and everything. So let me interview about Lion King. The first question being, how does it feel to have a robot heart and not human emotions in your body? Here's the thing. Odd? Like I I will say this. Like the movie starts up, and I was really impressed by the technique i thought the animation was really good i thought some of the stuff that they were doing editorially was really cool like the way that they like just cut to the title and the title was like this classy thing it was like something that you'd see like in a non-animated like adult movie and stuff and like some of the stuff that they were doing there with the score of course you know Hans zimmer now is you know Hans zimmer whatever but Mm -hmm. which by the way you can say what you want about Dark Phoenix, okay? And you would be completely justified in saying that. But Hans Zimmer did the score for that movie, mm-hmm. and his score is awesome. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know wh- how that movie got such a good score. I mean, you're talking about, like, Dennis Quaid and, uh, you know, Wyatt Earp or whatever, if you haven't seen Dark Phoenix, that's okay, but go on the good old iTunes and uh, listen to Hans Zimmer's score for that movie. I'm just saying. I, I don't doubt you in the least. Zimmer rarely disappoints, Yeah, for sure. But this is, like, good even for him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, this goes beyond, but whatever. Yeah. Anyway, um, but... Uh, you know, you add that all up and then, you know, it, it just kind of like loses momentum and then it gets sort of like a little too kitty as it as it moves along, which I know, okay, fine, whatever. But 
uh, and you get ahead of it as an adult and everything, and it just it just dragged. And by the hmm. time I got to the end, I was just like, "Can we get this thing over with?" And here's another thing, and this is this is a, a hard thing for me to come to a realization of with myself, right? But mm. there's always that thing where there's, you know, people who are like, I'm not going to see that movie. That's a kid's movie. I don't watch cartoons. Cartoons are for kids, right? To which my response is always like, well, that's a little hoity-toity of you and uh, a little narrow-minded. And certainly all of these movies can, you know, work perfectly well for adults and everything like that. Just give them a chance, you know. Plenty of adults can like all these things movies like the lion king or whatever and i always go into them like super excited and i always come out thinking like i really didn't like that and even though i'm someone who is constantly calling people out for saying stuff like that and even though i never say anything like that i think unintentionally i just don't like kids movies does that make me a bad person no of course it does <laughs> make you a bad person i mean but but see i can see the criticism that it loses momentum i agree with you at, at a certain point it does lose momentum but then it goes into the the time lapse showing him growing up <sighs> and it immediately picks that momentum back up and moves forward and it is unique in Disney uh, animated features that I can recall where it actually shows an entire like lifespan, you know, somebody growing up, like seeing their whole backstory and sort of thing. And of course, you know, everybody, even back when it came out, they were like, well, you know, there are shades of Henry the Fourth here and there are, you know, obviously, you know, Shakespearean things. And yes, they... You know, Disney may have ripped something off from another film overseas. I don't know. It could have happened with Kimba. I don't know. I mean Simba. But, you know, the whole can be greater than the sum of its parts. And when you bring in that score and that music, right, it's amazing. It's an amazing work of art. And it's and it's compelling and it's fresh. And it's. I think it's no accident that The Lion King is so beloved that when I sat down to see Avengers Endgame, in Disney Springs and the Lion King trailer was played beforehand, the entire theater erupted in applause and cheering. Oh yeah. Like they, they could have gone home after the trailer and felt completely satisfied. And I, you know, sure. It's not to your liking. It's not to your taste. And that's fine. That's valid. I get it. But I, I, I just can't plug into that because I think that Lion King is just, is it as great as beauty and the beast? No beauty and the beast is going to always be my all time favorite of the animated features that they've done. But I think it's a really good one. And I have the thing etched into my brain because I had uh, nephews who loved it. And I watched that thing repeatedly over and over again, you know, to the point where I have the score memorized and it's just, I think it's a terrific, terrific uh, film. See, I like the, the, you know, kitten Simba, right? I just, I just wanted to, I want him to stay a kitten all the time, you know, like Keanu or something. I don't care. I don't really <laughs> care about him when he grows up. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it, and it, but like tonally, like 
I don't know, the opening, it reminded me actually kind of like, you know, in, in Tarzan, like that opening, like, sequence, that opening, like, five minutes or something. It's just like, just blew me away. Like, it's so well done. But then you get past that, and it's just kind of like becomes like a standard thing. And I don't know. Hmm. It, it's, I don't know. It didn't didn't really work for me. Um, but what can you do? I'm still going to see the new one, although, geez, you know, you, you look at the runtime and you're like, it's literally half an hour longer. It's like, which, oh, I, I'm sorry. Uh, like, you get, you know, all these people who are like, it's a shot-for-shot shot remake. If it was a shot-for-shot shot remake, then how is it half an hour longer? Whatever. Anyway. I, I'm I'm sure they're going to incorporate uh, songs from the stage show because there's a song from the stage show uh, called He Lives in You that is, if you think the opening number is great, he lives in you is an amazing number. I hope they include it because it, it like it, it's a goosebumps inducing song. It, it's, it's just magnificent. I, I would actually offer it's possible if they do go the route of incorporating the stuff from the stage show, you may wind up liking it more. I can honestly say that you're the first person that I've run across in a very long time that uh, hasn't raved about uh, Lion King and you're not the only person, but you're just the first person in a while. And, you know, that's just going to happen. I mean, there's a reason that it's not 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, right? Yeah. It's because it didn't resonate with everyone. Yeah. It happens. And that's fine, you monster. <laughs> I mean, my wife is like super, you know, she's like singing and everything like that. And, you know, just, I mean, you know, like she absolutely loves this movie. Um, yeah. But I just, I just don't. I don't know. You I, don't even like Scar? Scar's amazing. No, Scar's he's great. cool and everything. Yeah, no, he's cool. The hyenas are great, too. Uh, yeah. I love the hyenas. There's things that I like. There's things that I don't like. But in the end, I just feel like it's not a plus. Well, there you go. All right. So Wyatt Earp and Lion King, we both have seen both of them. And uh, you would give the edge to the Lion King, I take it. More than an edge. Okay. More than an edge. I'd give the edge to Wyatt Earp. Um, I would also say more than an edge. But I think for you, they're, they're at complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Where for me, one's left of center and one's right of center. But they're, you know, still kind of close to the middle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I politely disagree with you, good sir. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, next week, we've got five movies. Five movies. Five two, movies? Two released on, on, on a Wednesday, June 29th, because, you know, we got that 4th of July thing coming up. And then yep. three released on July 1st. So the June 29th movies are Little Big League and I Love Trouble. And the July 1st movies are... Baby's Day Out, Blown Away, and The Shadow. You may be amazed as to which ones I saw in the theater, but tune in next week to find out which. Mm -hmm. Well, until then, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, gosh. Look for Kessel Junkie. I uh, lurk on Twitter, and you can find me on Letterboxd and Goodreads and occasionally writing over at KesselJunkie.com. And you can find me right here on the network, co-hosting a Star Wars show for the nerd party called Aggressive Negotiations with the 
internet-famous Matthew Rushing. Uh, come on over and check it out. Where can they find you, Mike? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on my website, FilmDamagePod.com, where I do a show called Film Damage. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Big week next week. Lots and lots of movies. And until then, be kind, rewind. Rewind.